big expectations with a little expectation. But just, just think about it. There's no wrong answer. There's no right answer. Whenever a teacher says that, there's a wrong answer. Right? <laughs> but I mean, honestly, like, there's no wrong answer in the sense that it's about you and your relationship with Christ. So what we're just saying is, what do we desire? I mean, someone could be like, well, I desire heaven, Father. That's awesome. That's great. Maybe it's something a little bit more mundane, right? Like, I desire to stay awake until lunch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I desire for this talk to be shorter than it currently is. Yeah. <laughs> I desire for Father Juan Pablo JP to just be silent. So, a lot of things could be crossing through your mind. Yeah, I desire perhaps to get married. I desire to find love. But like, all these desires are big desires and small desires. And uh, sometimes, I would say often, and this is what this talk is going to ultimately get to. So, cliff notes for this talk is, what are our desires? What happens when we have unmet expectations? What is God doing through those unmet expectations? And how does God want to give us freedom? Okay, that's what we're going with. So we have these desires, right? So what are they? And maybe just write them. Like, if, you, if you're taking notes, write them. If not, you know, your phone or something. What came to mind? Also, how do I know what my real desires are? Because when it comes to desires, when it comes to life, you know, there's a proverbial divide, right, between head and heart. So I know what my real desires are by my reactions. When do I get angry? When do I feel guilty? When am I frustrated with somebody? That's what my real desires are. You see, I can say, well, you know, Father, I just desire heaven. But then I get super angry when I'm, you know, 10th person in the Starbucks line, and it hasn't moved in three minutes. So, what are my reactions? That's when I know what my real desires are. All right. So, just write that down for two seconds. And now let's talk about those desires or those expectations go unmet. Because that's what we want to start diving into. What's going on? And especially, what is Christ doing in this? How does God intersect with our unmet expectations? What's really happening? Yeah. So again, for unmet expectations, we have all types of big ones and small ones. Maybe somebody expected to find a friend here in this retreat and they're not here. Yeah, it was like the first unmet expectation. You're kind of looking around, right? They didn't make it. I thought they had signed up. Yeah. I said to me, well, they said to me, you know, that's even worse, right? Right? They invited me and then they didn't show up, right? Classic. Right? So there's little unmet expectations. There's other unmet expectations. Yeah, maybe, like, I saw Tenet. Yeah? And my expectation was going to be, like, the best Christopher Nolan movie of all time. And reverse time, yeah? Of all time, present, future, and past. And I was like, eh, I don't think I really understood it, right? I had to watch it a second time. Unmet expectations. And I was, I was, so I was talking to someone about this, and they said, uh, How I Met Your Mother. I haven't seen it, but apparently it was like, great expectations, and again, it's like, eh, 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 eh. maybe not. I don't know. I don't want to express my judgment on that, but you know, I remember my students were watching Game of Thrones. And this isn't an endorsement of any of these shows, by the way, right? <laughs> Officially, right? <laughs> But, you know, the last season, they're like, wait, what? So unmet expectations, like we expect something to be awesome, and then all of a sudden, it's not. 
Maybe some of you have been dating someone recently. Right? It's like, you dated for two months. Or maybe you dated for six months. Or no, or seriously, you know, maybe a year, and you were expecting it to go one way, and then all of a sudden, it just didn't. Right? And it didn't even go out with a bang, it just kind of fizzled out. Those are the worst. So unmet expectations. We have all these unmet expectations. What is going on? You know what's really interesting is when you look at the Bible, the Bible, um, there are also tons of unmet expectations. Some of them are kind of comical. Like, for example, I love to think of James and John. You get to the story of James and John and their mom. You guys know who James and John are, right? so Jesus called 12 apostles, right? <laughs> I don't want to assume anything, so just kind of, you know, give me some bodily, you know, what do you call it, affirmation every so often. So Jesus and John were two of the apostles, and their mom came along one day. And their mom, like, this is in the Bible, literally. Their mom goes up to Jesus, and she's like, hey, you know my sons? Yeah. Uh, these were like the New Yorker, you know, apostles. Yeah, so, uh, you know... <laughs> My kids here. Uh, I want them to be like to your left and to your right. Like when you finally become king, king of kings, I want them to be number one and number two right next to you. And it's funny, Jesus is like, well, actually no, right? <laughs> like I don't have to decide that, right? He kind of he takes the he takes the diplomatic approach, right? Like I am consubstantial with the Father, but yeah, he's like no, that you know the Father decides that. So, you know, kind of unmet expectations. Here you had these two young men, right, who thought they were all in that train, who were easily casting judgment upon other people. Jesus kind of called them into their inner circle a couple times. So they just assumed, you know, well, I'm getting number, you know, well, Jesus is number one, I get number two, and you get number three. And Jesus has to say, like, no, that's, that's not the way it happens. Unmet expectations, you see it in the Holy Family all the time. This year we've been meditating on St. Joseph. And I like to think of, you know, good St. Joseph who spent the whole year preparing a home for Mary and Jesus. Right? So you guys, so in the Jewish custom, you get engaged, and then a year later, you would get married. Yeah? It's kind of like what we do nowadays as well, right? So, but during that year, the husband, the groom, he would have to prepare the home for the, for the bride. And so Joseph was preparing a house the whole year, right? For the Son of God. Like, this is super exciting, right? And then right before it happens, he has to go to Bethlehem. And then from Bethlehem, he has to go to Egypt. And then like six or seven years later, when he finally goes back to Palestine, he doesn't even think about going to Nazareth. He's like, oh, that home? Yeah. Knowing my relatives? <laughs> Forget it, right? <laughs> and so he doesn't go, right? And then he ends up going because Bethlehem is still under Herod, son, and whatever. But whether he went to his original home or not, probably not. Jesus is like, he's like, I'm a vlogger. 
tough. There's a, there's a scene in the gospel that I want to kind of go into a little bit. And it's kind of a deep existential moment encounter between this guy. We don't even know his name. But he kind of entered into history as the rich young man. And his encounter with Christ. Because I think he really does say a lot about what God is doing when he doesn't respond to us the way we would hope. So right, here it goes. So this is from Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 17 and on. I'm just going to read the passage. It's pretty short. So, and as he was setting out on his journey, so this is Jesus. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commands. Do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, so the rich young man said, Teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. And Jesus, looking upon him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. At that saying, his countenance fell, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So what's going on here? This kid has some major expectations for Christ. He's super excited. He goes up to Jesus, he kneels before, and he's like, how do I get to heaven? How do I achieve eternal life, right? What he understood by eternal life, we're not too sure. Because Jesus went around preaching the kingdom, and he had to, like, continually explain the kingdom and what it meant. You know, he's like, it's like a tower, it's like, it's like a field, it's like a big net. And so, you know, if the kingdom is like life with Christ and fullness and the attitude and joy and, you know, fulfillment. And so this rich young man kneels before him, he's like, how do I get there? And he's expecting Jesus to just tell him, well, you know, start doing this. Start doing this a little differently. Work on this. Right? Or read this. But he tells him, you, know, you have to sell all that you have. He looks at him. He knows him. So he knows what's holding him back. And what's holding him back is everything that he possesses. All his material wealth. So Jesus... Well, you have to sell that, and then you have to follow. And it's too much. It wasn't what he expected. It's too much, and he goes away sad. Which is kind of heartbreaking, right? Because like, well, dude, if you're sad, like, don't choose sadness. You know, he's, he's literally choosing sadness. Don't choose sadness. Just turn around. Follow it. Why does Christ not give him what he's asking? Why doesn't he say, because Christ is so good, you know? Other people come up to him, and they're like, what do I need to do to follow you? He says, well, just go and evangelize your people. Other people come up, and he's like, well, you know what? Just don't sit again. Why did he not give him what he was asking? And I think the key to that is actually a little verse that I just read. And it's easy to miss, but it says, and Jesus, looking upon him, 
loved him. And it's that Jesus doesn't meet his expectations because in his love for him, he wants him to go deeper. That's the answer. The answer is that Jesus could, of course. He's like, let's do this. But in his love for him, he wants him to go deeper. This man's expectations were not deep enough. They were not complete enough. They were not substantial enough. Christ wanted to pull him to something much greater. Come higher. There is a another passage in the gospel that I want to read. And it's actually just a couple verses later, the same chapter of Mark, which is really interesting. But the Holy Spirit wanted to like put these two stories, one right after the other. And the question is, so how do we go deeper? How do we tap into those like deeper, more authentic, more truthful expectations that maybe we're not even aware of? So here's another passage. I'm going to read it, and I'll be quick. It's uh, this guy called Bartimaeus. Right? So he's a beggar. So this is uh, Mark 10, verse 46. So they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great multitude, and a great multitude, Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, rise, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Master, let me receive my sight. Now, I know we've read that story before, and it seems like Jesus just goes around healing blind people. And there's actually like, two blind people he heals in the Gospel of Mark. We don't even know the first guy's name. This guy's part of us, right? And so... What I love about this is, he was a beggar. Like, imagine the scene. He's a beggar outside the road. This huge multitude is going by. He spent his whole life just begging for alms to survive. Hoping that, you know, large groups of people would go by for the Passover. That's why they're all gathered together. They're about to go to Jerusalem because he's about to die. So there's this massive crowd of Galileans that have all got together and are about to go up the mountain, literally to Jerusalem. Every year, this is Bartimaeus' big catch. Yeah. Every year this happens, and every year, good old Bartimaeus says alms to the poor, and all the pilgrims are like, alright, fine, right? They give them alms, and then they go up to Jerusalem, right? Because they're on pilgrimage, they're trying to be good people, and to renew their spirit, and the whole thing. So the same thing's happening here. Bartimaeus says, have pity on me, have pity on me. What is Bartimaeus originally asking for? He's asking for alms. He's asking for what he's been asking for since he was blind from birth. He's always asked for money. Always. His whole life. And he hears a big crowd and he hears the name of Jesus and he's really smart, right? You have to be kind of street smart to survive as a blind beggar. So he's like, oh, I'm going to call on the top guy. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. People ignore him because they know he's manipulating Christ's name to get attention. Christ calls him up 
And I imagine this moment when Bartimaeus is literally going up to Jesus like this, and he's blind, and he's carrying his little cup, and he has to make a decision. What do I ask Jesus for at this moment? Is it what I've always desired? What I thought I always wanted? Or can I perhaps today, tonight, ask for what I've always been too afraid to ask? Something goes way beyond what I really expected to be given by anybody before today. And he takes a leap of faith. And he breaks the fourth wall of his little world. And he says, Lord, what I really want is to see. Jesus says, okay. He's like, now we're talking. Open your eyes. That's it. So, you see the dynamic. We have these expectations. The Lord sometimes says no. Because he wants to invite us to go much, much deeper. And much more authentic in our asking for it. What do I really want? I mean, that's that's the question. What are my deep expectations? Do I know them? Maybe I don't. I haven't really stopped to think. There's always a new post on Instagram, you know. And so I haven't had time to think. I've been watching so many videos. I, I don't know what I really want. I know what all these other people want. But what do I? What do I really want? That's that's the talk. How do we find this interior freedom to speak to God with the depths of our hearts? How do we find it? Freedom is an interesting topic because it's used everywhere, right? Freedom. We were talking about Fourth of July. And uh, you know how patriotic it is, right? Fourth of July. On Fourth of July, we're all free. Okay? That day, we're free, right? Why am I proud to be an American? You know what? Because at least, at least I know I'm free. <laughs> it's a song, by the way. Everyone's like, what? Okay, so, so what is freedom, right? What is free? So, part of the catechism, I'm gonna throw a catechism quote at you. Get ready. Freedom is the power. Rooted in reason and will to act or not to act, to do this or that, and so to perform deliberate actions on one's own responsibility. By free will, one shapes one's own life. Human freedom is a force for growth and maturity in truth and in goodness. It attains its perfection. What is perfect freedom? It attains its perfection when it is directed toward God, our beatitude. 
why does it attain perfection? It's right towards God because that is growth and maturity and attainment of truth and beauty and goodness. So when I use my freedom in a different direction, sure, you know, I'm deciding to walk, but I'm not actually growing in truth and freedom and goodness. And you know, we can ask ourselves, am I free? Am I free? JP2, St. John Paul II, said, um, freedom consists not in doing what we like, but in having the right to do what we ought. Yeah. And I think, like, we don't know that. Right? Somewhere in our mind, I'm sure we could say that. We could repeat it, we're like, uh huh. But, you know, I think it's important to realize where, even though we love freedom and we say freedom, where we're still addicted, where we're still slaves. Yeah. I mean, we live surrounded by addictions. And maybe addiction is like a technical, medical, you know, diagnostic term in psychology. But we often find ourselves, like St. Paul, doing stuff we don't want to do. It's like, I want to be a great employee. I want to be social and have friends. I want to contribute to other people and connect with them. And yet I end up wasting so much time in front of a screen that just doesn't love me back. I want to be romantic and creative and like find love and connect with people and love truly and purely. And yet, I end up watching porn. We want to do so many things. We know we want to. And yet, we I want to be a good friend. I want to be loving. I want to be the best version of myself. I want to be free to love. I want to forgive. And yet, Continually go over my anger and my resentment. So, how do we find that freedom? How do we go deep in that freedom? How do we go deep in that freedom? Well, that's what this retreat is for. So, a few days ago, we celebrated the feast day of one of my favorite saints. No, I could probably say that for like a lot. But, uh, by the way, today's the feast of St. Maximilian Mary Colbert. Yeah? Great dude. Uh, died in a concentration camp. So a few days ago, we celebrated uh, another person, another saint who died in a concentration camp, Edith Schein. Yeah, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, right? Which I think the way she interpreted it was actually like St. Teresa blessed by the cross, not like St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, like St. John of the Cross. Anyway, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. And you might know her story. She was a radical feminist back in the 19th when radical feminism was all about like correcting this tremendous injustice in history where women couldn't even vote, right? So she was like front lines pushing for women empowerment. She was a nurse during World War I and she took care of these people that would just, you know, come into the, what do you call it, the, the triage rooms from the war and then right after that, I think you had the Spanish plague as well. So she was a nurse and she saw so much death and so much violence, like meaningless violence in Germany. Germany, which like lost World War One, and so it's like humiliation of all these patients, and then all this sickness, and just loss after loss. She was also a philosopher. And in fact, she was the assistant of probably the greatest philosopher in the 20th century. This guy by the name of Edmund Husserl, and who I, mean, I don't want to geek out, but he like revolutionized history, I mean, uh, the history of philosophy. And in fact, this guy Husserl, who was agnostic his whole life until his deathbed. 
he, uh, he told her, he's like, okay, listen, you can get married, but you have to marry another philosopher so that you can still be my assistant. Yeah. Uh, and that when she converted to Christianity, he was like, okay, can you still be my assistant? And she felt this calling to actually teach religion. And so he was like disappointed. I mean, you know, all of a sudden, my girl, you know, she's moving out. Oh, she was Jewish, by the way. She was like an agnostic Jew, kind of, but her family was super devout. Her mother was super devout. But it was really the experience of suffering that made her, like, take a step away from faith. She said, there's so much suffering, there's no way God can exist. It is in her Jewish conception of God. Well, she converted. She wanted to join the Carmel. They told her no. The spiritual director said, no, you better hold off. So 12 years later, she finally joined religious life. After being a teacher, I think she was like a... In kindergarten, she for a little while, and clearly that was you know, a little bit below her intellectual capacity, so then she started teaching doctoral level philosophy. <laughs> she, couldn't be, she, couldn't become a, she couldn't become a stable, tenured professor because she was a woman. And so she started writing books about authentic feminism, Christian feminism, which are awesome, by the way. JP2 loved them, and then her thought influenced his encyclical on the dignity of women. Yeah, bless you. When a priest says bless you, it's like, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> uh, it's very cool. So, the, uh, anyway, she ended up converting, joining the Carmel, praying for her people, moving to um, Amsterdam. Her superiors moved her to Amsterdam away from the Nazi invasion. The Dutch bishops wrote a letter condemning the Nazis, and the Nazis said, oh yeah? Well, we can't touch you directly because we have a concordat. But anyone from the Jewish religion, who Jewish race, who converted Catholicism, technically it falls under Nazi rules, so we're going to go, and we're going to take into concentration. So that's what they did. So they broke into the convent. They took her because she was originally Jewish. And they sent her to Auschwitz, I believe, or one of the concentration camps. And she died a week later. But she has a tremendous phrase. She knew this was going to happen, by the way. She knew that she was being called to offer her life for her people, for her Jewish people, and for the faith of Christians. She says, the nation doesn't simply need what we have, which is a cool connection with the rich and men. The nation doesn't simply need what we have. It needs what we are. So I think this is the commentary on our desires and in our expectations. How often we pray to have something, even if it's to have a relationship, to have the job, to have the experience, to have it all together, to have the friendships, to have the family, all those things are good. But the saints point us to a much deeper reality which is that God is calling us to be, to be much more deeper. So we're going to have a moment now for, um, to kind of go over these questions. Kathleen will explain. But, you know, I think it's an opportunity for us to think deeply.
ask him to go deep and to pray. To not keep on praying for things that slip through our fingers continually, but to pray in accordance with the truer, the more authentic, the deeper, the more powerful, the more intimate, the longer lasting, the more existential desires.